right. How are we? Excellent. How many of you guys enjoy this time of the year? Right? This is, this is a, it's a pretty good time of the year. School is coming to an end. The countdown is on. That's really good. You guys are counting down the days maybe to vacation that's coming up, and that's really good. Um, the weather is getting nicer in theory sometimes. Uh, it's not snowing right now, so that's good. It's getting better. It's getting better. Uh, it's also right now one of the best times of the year to be a sports fan. And here's why I say that. Right now, this week, we had the Stanley Cup Finals. We had the NBA Finals. Uh, we've got baseball in full swing. If you're one of six people here who are a tennis fan, French Open is, is going on. Um, I don't know uh, if anyone is a CFL fan, but that starts next week, and they're underway right now with preseason. There's a lot going on, and it's really good. It's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I was down and out with kind of a gross bug this week, which means that I had time to lay in bed and watch Sports Center highlights on repeat for 17 hours. And, and what you discover when you do that is, is that it gets old real quick, but you watch the same highlights, you hear the same stories, read all the news articles, you read all the tweets, you, just things you wouldn't even usually look at on tsn.com, you read all of it because you're that bored and you're stuck in bed. Uh, and here's what I discovered. There's a lot of people who don't play sports that have a lot to say about sports. <laughs> True? Right? We, we call these people armchair athletes. And, and they can't play sports, but they'll say a lot about it. They've got opinions about sports. And, and they'll know, they'll have something to say. If Ovechkin goes a night where he doesn't score a goal, they'll be like, oh, this guy's awful. Put him on the bench. Send him back to Russia. Right? Like, it's, they just get so mad. People are watching basketball, and LeBron will have an off game where he only scores his, like half of his team's points, and people will be like, this guy's terrible, worst player in the world, unbelievable, right? People just lose their minds. I read an article, I read an entire article, all about his post-game outfit, like what LeBron wore for clothing after the game. I read a whole article about it. Like, we, we have a lot to say about sports. I know I mentioned how little I care about the CFL, um, but I have been following it this year because there's, there's kind of a big-name quarterback that just entered the league named Johnny Manziel. A few years ago, he was supposed to be a huge NFL star. He, he was number one draft pick. He was going to go places, signed a huge contract, made a ton of money, and, and it just kind of the classic story of drugs and alcohol and jail time came crashing down. He lost it all. And so he's starting to try and, and make a comeback in the CFL this year. And uh, he went from being on you know, kind of on top of the world to moving to the illustrious city of Hamilton, Ontario, where he currently lives in a dorm room at McMaster where he's playing preseason games with the CFL. And I think it's a fascinating story, but man, does that guy have some critics. It, it is unbelievable to me how many people want to see other people fail. And, and, and they're just waiting for him to crash and burn. They're waiting for him to do it all over again. They've got everything to say about his, his on-field kind of actions and his off-field actions. And, and it's pretty crazy. There's a lot of people who don't play sports that have a lot to say about sports. And when you think about what's happening, it's pretty comical, isn't it? 
You've got these professional athletes who have been training and practicing their entire lives. They've got trainers and dietitians. They've got professional people working with them all around the clock. They're sinking so much money and time into doing kind of the nitty-gritty, sweaty work. They've gotten into a position where they've outplayed all the other best players in the world and have reached some kind of top-tier elite level of athlete. And they're getting criticized on the internet by overweight men on their couch eating Doritos. It's a bit of a funny picture, isn't it? Isn't it a little bit weird how we do that? Listen, I am one of those men. And I have angrily yelled at my TV on multiple occasions. At the stinking Maple Leafs, at the Blue Jays, whatever it is. I, I criticize hockey so much, I can't even skate. I'm an awful skater. If you put me on the ice at an NHL game, I would die. I would lose my life on the first shift. That's all it would take. Uh, and, and so here's what's true. It is much easier and way less work to sit on your couch than to actually play the game. Right? But at the end of the day, I'm really not helping anyone win the game. I'm really not a benefit to the team that I am spectating. Uh, I, no one's listening to my advice. I have never yelled at an athlete through my TV and had them turn around and be like, sure, I'm glad you're watching tonight. Really could have used that advice. Thank you. No. No. When it comes to sports, there is a very obvious divide between the athletes who are playing the game and the fans who are watching the game. And oftentimes, that, that's for all kinds of multiple reasons. The athletes have worked for that right to play. They, they've earned it. They've been more skilled, more blessed. They did the work. They wanted it more. Whatever the case might be, that there is a pretty sizable gap between the athletes who are playing and the fans who just happen to be watching. And I'm going to explain this next sentence, but here's what I want to say tonight. Sometimes I feel like that is how the church is operating too. Sometimes I feel like that is the picture of the church. I'm not talking about our church specifically, just the church in general right now. Sometimes it feels like there's a small team of the professional pastors who are doing all the work while the majority of other people come and watch them do a thing and spectate. And just like in the sports world, sometimes it feels like there's way more spectators at church than there are people actually playing the game. I don't think that's the biblical model for the church. I don't think that's the way that the church is supposed to operate. And so I want to talk today about how the church is not supposed to be like a stadium. We're in our broken building series. We're talking about how the church kind of gets compared to all these buildings all along the way. Uh, and, and we're talking about the church, really, how it's not perfect because the church is people and people aren't perfect. But that doesn't mean you give up on the church. The church is God's hope for the world, right? He, he's, we are the people that he called and said, you need to go and make disciples. You need to go and tell people. And, and so we can't just give up on the church. I want to talk about that tonight. The church is not supposed to look like a stadium. And so here's what I mean by that. I, I grew up in the church. Maybe lots of you grew up in the church. Um, and I always knew that there was pastors who worked at the church, and usually I could tell simply by the way that they looked. Right? At, at our church, the pastor was the guy who wore a shirt with buttons and or had it tucked in, sometimes a tie, sometimes a blazer of, of some kind. But I was like, oh, you're separating from yourself from the, most of the people who are there kind of watching that day. Uh, and it's the same, maybe even more so, with other denominations. You know a priest when you see one, because he's wearing a little white collar. No one else does that for fashion. That guy's a priest. 
Uh, sometimes you go to a certain church, an Anglican church or United Church, still to this day, the pastor will be wearing a long robe. That's how you know. Oh, that's, that's not a guy who's just coming to church. This guy works here. This is one of the guys that's kind of on the scene doing things. And so there was a very visual divide there between kind of the, the pastors of the church and the people who were simply going to church that day. But it wasn't just a, a, a visual divide. It's not just a visual gap that we notice. And, and, and that's just the obvious thing we see. Sometimes we still believe that there is a separation that exists between the pastors and the people. And, and for years, we've commonly referred to this as the clergy and the laity, the, the clergy and the layperson. Uh, and and those are weird words that we don't use very often. Clergy is a weird word. I, I sometimes forget that's what I'm called. Like, it just sounds so formal. I, true story. I was getting driven to the church this week um, by someone who drives a shuttle for a certain... Our van was in the shop. I got to drive back to the church. And, and he was asking me, oh, like, you like work here at the church. Are you one of the clergy? And I said, no, I'm one of the pastors. <laughs> I wasn't on my A game that day, but I was like, oh yeah, no, clergy. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> I guess you're right. Um, we, we use that word as someone, you know, we describe them as a, you're a professional pastor. That's what you went to school for. That's what you got your training in. You work at a church. It's your job. When it comes to the laity, what that means is anyone else. It means anyone that's not, uh, you know, if you don't get a paycheck from Crosspoint every two weeks, you're a layperson. Basically, that's how the world understands that word. Uh, and so you've got a job, it's just not in the church. And this is how we've operated for years and years and years and years, for hundreds of years all along the way. And in some way, that makes sense. Because you don't want someone who's untrained doing a job that has a certain amount of importance to it, right? Uh, I can't just go down to Queen Street to the police station, give my resume, and be like, I'd like a badge and the keys to a police car. Thank you. <laughs> you got to do some pretty specific training if you want to be, uh, you know, someone who works at the police station. Uh, I want the doctor who's doing surgery on me to have gone to med school. That would be helpful. Imagine, like, they're putting the anesthesia on you. You're just about to get knocked out, and you hear them be like, what does this do, right? Like, that would be bad. That would be scary. You want some trained professionals, and so certain jobs require a certain amount of professional ability, but when it comes to the work of the church, when it comes to fulfilling the Great Commission where God said, I want you to go out into all the world and make disciples, I want you to go to the, the ends of the earth and tell people about me, what if you don't need to be a trained professional? What if there aren't supposed to be spectators? in the church, but we're all supposed to be participants. What if we're all supposed to play a role? Here's the thing. There's actually no biblical basis to the clergy-laity relationship. Those words aren't in the Bible. Those are not biblical words. The word clergy comes from the Greek word kleros, which meant the lot of something or the inheritance. It comes from Ephesians, where the Bible says that we are all part of God's inheritance, but it meant all of us, the whole church. We, we are all kleros, okay? Uh, the word laity comes from the Greek word lakos, which means of the common people. In other words, it was just another way of saying someone who wasn't a professional, someone who didn't receive some amount of specific training to go and do a, a certain kind of job. Uh, the word that gets interchanged with lakos sometimes was the word iodotes, which is our modern-day idiot. 
because that's what you call someone who's not a professional, right? When you refer to someone as an idiot, what you're saying is that you, you're a little slow, you're a little dumb, you didn't get it, right? You are, you are not a trained, highly skilled professional. You are what the opposite is. And we still hint at this today when we ask people, could you put that in layman's terms? What are we asking? Could you dumb it down a bit? Could you say that in a way so that I can understand you? Why? Because I am not a trained professional in whatever it is you're talking about. I'm at the other end of the spectrum. So the word laity and idiot actually come from the same root word. It means that you are not professional. Over time, they, they began to take that word and, and make it mean profane and unholy because usually the people that were outside the church that were profane and unholy were the uneducated, unskilled, untrained ones. And we were left with this sizable gap in history. This is the year two or three hundred where the clergy were trained, educated, and holy, and the laity were untrained, uneducated, agadotes. And that is how it has looked in the church world for 2,000 years. People want something done in a church capacity nowadays. They want it done by a member of the clergy. You want an official thing done in the church? Well, I need that done by the minister. Real ministry is done by the minister who has some kind of special anointing or blessing on him, apparently, and the lay people can help if need be. They can assist, but I don't want them just doing the things that a, a pastor should be doing. But here's what scripture says. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Who's a priest? Is it the guy wearing a collar? Or is it all of us? That's all of us. God says we are all called to be part of the royal priesthood, a part of this family. And he says you have what it takes to show people the goodness of God. I have called you into the light to show people the goodness of God. And so we say that. We, we believe it. We're like, oh, yeah, no, royal priesthood. We're all part of the ministry. Super. But if you look at our language and our structure in the church today, you will still discover that it is clergy that is doing full-time ministry. Right? It, we send people to college and seminaries to prepare for the ministry. We install them in our congregations to be the minister. Uh, we, we, you know, the sick haven't been visited really until they've been visited by the minister. When we have a problem in the church, we want to talk to the minister. This is not a biblical model. Instead of clergy and laity, we actually find something a little bit different in scripture. A few examples. Uh, Jesus gave warning of this in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. When he says, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus tells them, the Holy Spirit is coming, and he is going to empower you to go do the work that I have called you to do. And then it happens in the very next chapter. Chapter 2, verse 1 of the book of Acts says, so on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Say that phrase with me, all the believers. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting, and then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. All the believers were the recipients of this Holy Spirit, meaning that all the believers were the ones who were called to go to the ends of the earth. 
It's for all the believers. That means every day, all of us are on mission. Every day, all of us are a part of the church. There are no spectators. We are all in ministry. Okay? You with me so far? Now, that doesn't mean we all do the same thing. It doesn't mean it all looks exactly the same, and it doesn't mean that the idea of pastor is not a biblical idea. It is still a biblical idea. We're all on mission. We just have different roles in that mission. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 says, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body, by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. You you see the word all come up quite a bit? He's trying to make a point. It's the Greek word all. It it means all. (laughs) Jump ahead to verse 27. There's that word again. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. He's coming on pretty strong here. He's saying, you guys get the point. We have all been baptized. We're all a part of it. This is for each of us. And so he says in verse 28, here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. He said, so you're all the church, but here's what some of you might do. First are apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers, then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets, teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages and interpret unknown languages? Of course not. He's saying, so we're all the church, but everyone is called to a different spot in the church where you have been equipped to do a certain kind of thing. So some of us, he says, are called to be apostles and prophets. Some of us are called to be pastors in ministry to oversee a congregation. That is, that is their job. But it's not all people who are called to that specific thing. But here's the thing. Everyone's role is equally important. Okay? Paul is saying in the church, there might be some who are more prominent because of their job They might be more visible in that kind of environment, but that does not make them more or better. I am the pastor of this particular church in the world, but am I any more the church than you guys? No, that's a no. So I've got a specific calling to shepherd this flock. I believe that's what I've been called to do, that this is what God has called me to do. Um, Being a pastor is a heavy calling but it is not a higher calling, okay? There's a weight to it, but it is no more pivotal than the work that you guys are also called to do in the church. And sometimes because of my job, uh, it actually, my effectiveness backfires. You know that people weird out around pastors? People all of a sudden don't act like themselves, don't speak like themselves, they will distance themselves or feel intimidated or whatever. It's, it's actually a barrier for some people. So the irony of a pastor not being able to be effective in his job because it weirds people out. You know what half my job is? It's meeting with people and saying, you know who you should really talk to? Because they don't want me or actually need me. What they need is any number of all of you who are actually equipped and ready and able to do the work more effectively than I could do. In other words, my job is made more effective when all of you are doing your job also in the church. I need you guys because we're all in ministry together. You can reach people and speak to people and encourage people that I can't for whatever reason. And so I need you to be a part of the priesthood at Crosspoint. I need you to be in ministry at Crosspoint just as much as I am. 
Here's the other great part about biblical leadership. The church doesn't operate like some big corporate business. Right? The, the way that the world works, you, you've got some kind of big, fancy, powerful CEO on top, and he's got his key managers there, and then under him, he's got his assistant to the regional manager or whatever it is, and, and it's very top-down, and it looks like a, it looks like a pyramid. That, that is how leadership in the world looks like. All the powers at the top, a little bit more there, a little bit more there, until you get kind of all the people at the bottom who are kind of holding things down. That is not how the church looks. That's not what leadership looks like in the church. The disciples thought it was. They wrestled with this. They argued all the time about who's the best and greatest. And Jesus made it clear to them that that's not what he's looking for. Luke 12, 24. It says, then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over people. And they are called the friends of people. But among you, it'll be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I among you, I am among you as one who serves. Do you see that? In the church, leaders aren't over the people. They're under them. We are serving them. This whole idea of a power-hungry leader who's kind of lording over his people and dominating, that might look like what Wall Street looks like. That might be how the government looks like. It's not the church. In the church, we actually flip the pyramid upside down so that the leader is at the very bottom, and he's serving his key people who serve their people who serve their people all the way back up. Jesus came to wash feet. He didn't come to give himself a throne. He didn't come to make a name for himself. He came to serve. Philippians 2 talks about that. He didn't consider equality with God something to be attained, but he took on the form of a human and became a servant. So here's what this means in our, in our context at Crosspoint. You don't work for me. I work for you. I don't get to lord over anyone with power. I don't get to stand up here and, and dominate and say, here's how it's all going to be. Everyone work for me. It's, it's not what we do. We serve you. Our staff team is here to serve you, to help you, to equip you, to love you, to challenge you, to comfort you, to come alongside you. That's our job because we want to see you continue to flourish in your faith and we want to see the kingdom continue to grow. Uh, we actually have a thing right now that we do called a service. It's what it's called, right? And, and to some degree, uh, that's what we're doing. It's not a show. It is not a concert. This is one of the ways that we serve you. Here's music. Let's worship together. Here's your family. Let's encourage one another. Here's some teaching from scripture. Let's learn together. We're serving one another. We're growing together. Here's opportunities for you to serve in the city. You're supposed to come to the service on the weekend to participate, not just to take in. That's what you do at a show. That's what you do at a concert, but not here. You should come to be engaged. You should come to learn. You should come to participate. This shouldn't be a service for you. Maybe sometimes what happens in the weekend that should be a service from you, where you're actually finding people that look like they need encouragement, where you're praying for one another, where you're finding ways to get plugged into all of the ministries that are happening here on the weekend, whatever that looks like. None of what we do here is for status or entertainment or anything else. That's why you pay money to go to a show. And it's not what we do here at the church. That's not why our staff team is here. We're not here to make a name for ourselves. Uh, 
I tell our staff team to park away as far as possible from the front doors. That's just a thing that we've done on the weekends or right in front of the dumpster so no one has to look at it. Right? We have not earned some kind of magic right to take up the closest seven parking spots at the church. There is no pastoral parking space at Cross Point. That's not service. That's entitlement. And the same should go for all of us. There's no entitlement at church when we're all here to serve. No one should feel entitled. You're not supposed to be able to walk into a church and start throwing demands around about what it is you all. Well, this is going to be my seat from here on out. And, and this is going to be the way that I want the worship service to be done. And this is going to be what you do for my kids. And if you don't like it, well, then well, I don't know. It's, Jesus came to wash feet. He came to do work. Don't enter a church with a list of demands like it's a hostage situation. You're not here to get. You should come to the weekend services and think, who can I serve today? Who can I love? Who can I encourage? Who could we invite over for a meal afterwards? Who don't I know that I should meet? Who's sitting alone today? Let's come and work together. You know, what are ministry opportunities here that I could do? What, you know, maybe I should serve in kids' ministry. I could pour coffee. I could greet people in the lobby. I could move a camera around. Maybe there's things that I should be doing when I come to the service. Crosspoint, we're all in ministry. You're in ministry. And what we've read in scripture today tells us that we are the people of God filled with the spirit of God on the mission of God. That, that is what we're doing. It's not about clergy and laity. This is not a stadium. This is not spectators and, and athletes. This is about all of us doing the work. There is no such thing as a professional Christian. It's just us. It's just us. So how do we change our thinking? Well, I think we stop thinking of the church like a stadium, and what we need to think of ourselves like is the team that's actually playing the game. You're not there to watch. You're the team on the field or the court or rink or whatever sport you want to go with here. And I love this approach. If the church is the team, then our opponent isn't other people. Our opponent is the lostness of our city. That's what we fight for. That's what we're working for together as a church. We have an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And we have a father who says, I want you to go into that world and make disciples. I want you to go love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to go sow seeds of grace and hope and joy and love and peace and forgiveness. And I want you to show the goodness of God to the world that really, really needs to see it. That's the game. That's what we're going for. Everything we do is for that purpose. It is to see people saved by Jesus Christ. That's, that's it. That's the end game. When we do this, we win. It does not matter if a church has the best band or the coolest lights or the best kids ministry or midweek programs or small groups. None of it matters if they aren't reaching people for Jesus. And none of what we do matters if we're not reaching anyone for Jesus either. Everything we do is to see lost people get found. And some of us maybe need to get fired back up again to see that happen. Maybe some of us need to pray for that hunger and that passion in our own hearts because we've been lacking it. Maybe we've settled in and thought, I'm not sure I super care about that. We, we need to care about it again. This is what we do. This is the game we're playing. So we're a team and we're all on it. Now this team has captains. Every good team has captains. And so you've got captains, right? Your staff team, your captains. And, and it might mean we're not more prominent, but doesn't mean we're more important. 
And here's what a captain does. See, Jesus is the coach, right? If we're a team, Jesus is the coach. All captains do is say, remember what coach said? That's what a captain does. Just reminds you what coach said. And so every week we gather, that's pretty much what I do. Hey, remember this thing you write about in the Bible? Let's do that. Remember this thing in the Bible? No? All right, well, let's talk about that. We're just here to remind you what coach said. All right, and so, and so that's what it looks like. That's, that's what we're doing. And just like on any team, any captain who hogs the ball stinks. Captains shouldn't hog the ball. That's not healthy for the team. That, that's not how the team is supposed to work. Captains can equip and help and grow the team, but they're not supposed to be a ball hog. Here's another thing. Players who don't take the ball also stink. <laughs> right? Come on. That's not healthy for the team. There's no LeBron here that's just going to carry this thing single-handedly while we all watch. We're not here to watch one or two people do all of the heavy lifting. Take the ball. Let's do some work together. And as we play this game, we might discover along the way that we have some spectators watching us, and that's fine, but I want to say this as clearly as I can. Spectators might be on your side, but they're not on your team. Spectators might be on your side, but they're not on your team until they put on a uniform and hit the field and get sweaty and do the work and put themselves out there. They're, they're just fans. We're not called to be fans. God didn't tell us to stand on the sidelines and watch other people do the work. We're here to play the game. So here's another important thing. Don't ever just play for the spectators. Don't ever just do this to impress people who are watching from the sidelines. That's not who the game is for. We're playing a game to win the game, regardless of who might be watching us. We're not here to do it for someone else, so don't be concerned with the opinions of spectators. Don't be tempted to give in to their criticisms or thoughts or opinions just as quickly as a fan can cheer for you in one breath. They can throw you under the bus in another. You don't need to give any time to people throwing down insults from the cheap seats. They're not on the field. You are. Keep going. Stay focused. Do the work. Love people. In other words, keep your eyes on the coach. Keep your ears pointed towards the coach. Make his words the one that you prioritize. Make his words the one that you follow. Don't ever prioritize people's words over God's. Amen? Sometimes I worry about where the church gets its truth and hears its truth. Sometimes it feels like we're far more likely to share a motivational Facebook on YouTube than we are to open our Bibles. Listen to the coach. Go back to your source. Here's what he's saying. Know it. Memorize it. Learn it. Know the plays he's calling us to do. Now, on this team, you have a special role to play, right? That's the way a team works. If everyone on the, same, everyone on the team was doing the exact same thing, that wouldn't go well. If everyone on the hockey team is a goalie, who's scoring goals, right? And so we, we've got to know our role. We've got to know the position that we are called to do. Biblically, this is called knowing your giftedness and, and, and your callingness. How has the coach equipped you for the game? That's basically what God has done. He's equipped you for a part on the team. And so is it teaching? Is it healing? Is it generosity? Is it leadership? Is it compassion? And how does that play out maybe here in, in your own local church environment? Is it kids ministry? Is it tech ministry? Is it greeting ministry? Is it what, whatever the case might be? Are you helping push the team forward closer to victory with the giftedness that God has given you for this? So it's good. Know your, gifted, your, your giftedness. Knowing what you're called to, that's super important. But here's the other thing, is that we all have a bunch of general skills that we should all be really good at too. 
Okay, that, that's part of what it means to be on a team. Also, there are things that we all need to know how to do. You're not allowed to look at coach and go, I'm not doing that. That's not my calling. That things like evangelism is everyone's calling. Things like prayer, everyone's calling. Things like encouragement, it's everyone's calling. Things like giving, that's God's calling on the entire church. So you should be developing your general skills all along the way as well. Uh, in fact, you should be doing your general skills enough uh, that it eventually just feels natural. You know, when you do something long enough, you don't even notice you're doing it anymore. It's just natural. It's just what you do. It's just the way that it goes. So if you think prayer is hard, man, evangelism is hard. Don't do it less. Do it more. Because it's only in doing it more that you're actually going to get really good at it. And then it's actually going to start to feel natural. NBA players have dribbled a basketball so many times they don't think about it. But they had to develop that skill over many, 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 many years. Do that with your general skills. Learn how to pray. Learn how to read your Bible. Learn how to study scripture. Learn how to worship. Learn how to be in silence. That's so important. So here's the, here's the tricky part about being on a team, is that you can think about it like you have to play or you get to play, right? You have to play or you get to play. And I would say that the, whatever you choose as your mindset there will change the entire outcome of the game for you. If you view it as a burden, you probably won't enjoy it. If you view it as a burden, you'll probably stop doing it. It probably won't be a thing that you're going to stay passionate about. Over time, you might actually discover that you have left the field entirely. What the coach wants us to know is that playing on this team is an incredible privilege. Church, we get to do this. This is a gift. This is an honor that we get to serve Christ in this capacity. This should be fun. We should laugh a lot together as a family. This should be fulfilling. This has purpose. This has meaning. This has an impact on people's lives for all of eternity. We're not just doing nothing. Right? We're not just selling a good that someone's going to consume and forget. We are doing the most important, unbelievable thing in the world. We get to. It's not we have to. It's not that I'm begrudgingly called to, oh, I better go to church today and do some stuff. No, we get to. We get to. So the church, it's not a stadium. We're not spectators. But it is a team. And we're all playing a role. We're all doing our part. And for us at Crosspoint, we need to find a position. We need to know what it is. We need to get good at it. And we need to keep winning the game the best that we possibly can. We can't have a small amount of teammates do all of the heavy lifting. We all have a role to play. This is our biblical calling. Uh, we have seats that you're sitting in, correct? <laughs> there is a card in the seat in front of you that says serve. You should fill one of those out. This is one of the best ways for you to get plugged into the church and figure out, well, what can I do here? How could I make an impact? And, and this isn't because we need you to do this. This is because you need you to do this. Right, sermons like this, it, this is not supposed to be tonight. You're not doing enough, do more. Not remotely what it is. This is also not, we're so desperate for people to do something, we need you to sign up. Not what it is. You know what I've discovered? Is that when God needs something done, he'll find a person no matter what. 
And if he's giving you the opportunity, that's awesome. But if you say no, he'll go find someone else. So I'm never going to approach you as a church from a position of utter desperation because we believe that God will make it happen. What we're doing is giving you an opportunity to fulfill what it is God has called you to do, to use the giftings he has gifted you with, to find a place that you can utilize that so that we can keep pushing the ball forward and win some games. We, we believe that you serving in the church is an incredible way to find victory. It's an incredible way to see you change and grow and flourish in a way that we can continue to reach our community. It doesn't necessarily have to be in this church. You're thinking, wow, I, I want to do, thing, do things outside of the church. That's great. Kingdom work is kingdom work. But also know that it does take a lot of people to do what it is we do here at Crosspoint. And I'll be honest with you here, especially as we wrap up, uh, kind of spring and head into the summer months, we have a lot of our teammates who will be away for the off season. Band members and kids workers and everything else. Um, and if there are not new teammates willing to step up, summer's really hard. Um, the bottom line here is that the game doesn't end for the summer. Right? The devil doesn't take a vacation. So the church can't either. Now, you're allowed to take vacation. Don't, don't mishear me. I'm going to take some vacation this summer. It's going to be great. It'll be for two or three weeks, not three months. Don't just jump ship for three months, church. We need you. We have a game to play. It's incredibly important. There's work to do. It matters. It matters for you and your family, and it matters for the church. The game is still going on, and we want to do everything we possibly can to win it. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing, God, you're good, and we are so blessed to be here today. I pray that you continue to speak to us, even in these next few minutes, that you would challenge us, maybe call us to a new spot of ministry at the church, that you would help us discover what it is our gifts are so we can use them for your kingdom. God, I pray that at this church, we would see more and more victories happen this year. That is, as we play the game, that we would work hard, that we would discover our roles, that we would practice hard, develop our skills, listen to our coach. Jesus, help us, grow us, change us, equip us, and prepare us for the days ahead because we want to fight right up until the very end. And so call us to new things, call us out to greater things, call us out of our comfort zones, call us in, into a new position of ministry, maybe that you're calling some people to to do today, Jesus. Put that conviction and that challenge on us. But what a privilege. You're good and we love you. We pray all these things in your name.